Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. So, many of us, especially as Christians, uh, we, we go through life just like everybody goes through life. We have our ups and downs. We have good days and bad days. Uh, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. Sometimes we're level to the ground right? And, uh, you know, things come at us. What's the one commercial? Life comes at you fast, you know, that type of thing. And uh, Paul here in this, in the book of Philippians, writes a letter to the church at Philippi. And in this epistle, he really talks about and shows us uh, some things on how to navigate and how to live your life, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, no matter what comes at you. I don't know about you, but I have lived a portion of my life where I was very reactionary. Okay? I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've ever been through that in your life. So if something good was going on and uh, things were happy and people were good to you, boy, I was having a good day. It was just a great day because people patted me on the back and things went well at work and I had a good dinner and whatever, you know, things you consider to be a good day. Or if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, as they say, and you're uh, fumbling around, you can't find your keys, and you're late for work, and people are talking about you, and your car breaks down, and, and then all of a sudden you're having a bad day, and your attitude changes, and you're mean toward people, and all of that. That's called living a reactionary life, and that is not the life that God wants us to live, although those things happen. That is reality. There's no doubt about it that that is reality. But I think we're going to see a portion, a snapshot of Paul's life here in this letter where he was going through some things, yet he was able to rise above it. In fact, if you were just to read the book of Philippians, if Paul didn't say so, you may not even know he was in peril. You would not even know he was in prison if he wouldn't have told you based on his attitude. Okay, and so that's what we want to see. What's the key? What, how is Paul able to do that? So over these next few weeks, we're going to explore this book of Philippians, and we're going to discover how this church at Philippi was able to receive from Paul. He offered both spiritual and practical advice. How many know that we are a spiritual people? Amen? We are a spiritual people renewed by the Holy Spirit, but we're, we also live in the real world every day. All right, we live in the real world. We have to get up and go to work and deal with people and cook and do all the things that uh, everyone in the world does. And so Paul offers both practical and spiritual insight into living a fulfilled life, an abundant life, a life for God, a life for one another, a life of victory. That's what I'm talking about. A life of victory, fulfillment, and satisfaction. A life that doesn't just accept the cards that you're dealt. A life that doesn't say, well, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. A life that doesn't get up and things happen and say, well, I guess that's just the way the ball bounces. No, this is, Paul's talking about a proactive life where you're able to overcome in spite of opposition, in spite of failures, in spite of 
offenses in spite of the ups and downs. And how many know we have plenty of those? Amen? Hallelujah. This, this epistle to the Philippians, this is going to be kind of, a, as I explained, this is going to be a little different, more of a teaching uh, for you, so it'll be a little different message. But this epistle has been called the sweetest of all of Paul's writings. Just want to give you some background before we get into the scripture. It's been called the most beautiful of all of Paul's letters, where every sentence really exudes his love for this people. His heart is really on his sleeve when he writes this letter to the Philippians. And their attitude toward him was the same. It was a, an attitude of love. That love was mutual between both of them. Now, when you read Paul's writings, he wrote uh, most of the New Testament, as some of you may know. And if you read his writings and his epistles, there's a thread throughout. There's a theological thread. There is a way that he's, he writes his prose, if you will. Uh, the way that he writes, there's a thread throughout all of that. Uh, but this one, there's a few different things in this particular epistle. A couple of things that are different is that in this epistle, you'll find that there are no controversial matters that are discussed in this one. I don't know if there's a book that comes to mind for you Bible readers and scholars that when you think about Paul addressing controversial matters, I know for me it would be Corinthians, right? That'd be one of the books where Paul addresses a lot of controversy and a lot of mess that's going on. In this book, he doesn't do that. Uh, Paul offers no severe rebukes in this particular uh, book. Amen. I think that could be a good thing sometimes. You know, I, I know there's a lot of times I need to be corrected, but, you know, sometimes I just need a hug. <laughs> and so, and for you to tell me that you love me, and then I know we all need that. And you also find that there are really no divisions of serious nature in this book. No divisions of real serious nature. In fact, Paul used words like fellowship and cooperation and some versions even use yoke fellow, okay, and fellow soldier. So he's talking about working together. Paul really creates an atmosphere of faith and worship together. This letter seems to be full of joy because every chapter uses words like joy and rejoice in the book of Philippians. So I'll tell you, if you wanted to write maybe in one sentence a theme for the book of Philippians, it would probably be this. We could sum it up by saying that it is the joy of the Christian life and service manifested in all circumstances. The joy of Christian life and service manifested in all circumstances, not just on good days. Not just breakthrough on bad days. There are, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, we don't need to just praise God on good days. We need to praise him on the bad days as well. But let's not forget, we need to praise him on the good days because sometimes we forget that. Everything's going well. Everything is good. So we kind of forget about God on those days. It, this is, no matter what the circumstance, joy is manifested. So, I want to ask you, right before we get here into the scripture, when you think about the Christian life, because that's what we're really talking about in this series, living the abundant life that Jesus said that he came for. I come that you, the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, 
and destroy, but I came that you might have life. We sang about it this morning, life, and that more abundantly. So that's where we want to get to. That's what we're talking about. And so when you think about the Christian life, when you think about church, what comes to your mind? There are a lot of things that I wrote down that, that come to mind. Uh, you know, do bad things come to mind? Do offenses come to your mind? Here are some things that I hope by the, the end of this series comes to mind when you think about, uh, you know, life and living the Christian life. Some of these things could include family and worship, maybe teaching and receiving, learning, friendship, uh, exciting life. God gives us an exciting life. Uh, what about joy? What about uh, passion? You know, I, you know, one of the things that uh, really kind of, you know, get to me sometimes is a person that doesn't have passion for life or passion for anything at all. You know, they're just kind of, uh, oh, well, you know, again, that's the way the, the, the ball bounces and that's the way the cookie crumbles. I know we feel like that sometimes, but there ought to be some times where you have passion and it doesn't have anything to do with your circumstance. I don't know if you've ever awakened that way, but I, there are days when I wake up and nothing has happened, bad or good, but I just have a passion. What can I tackle today? What can I, what can I do? That's the joy that he wants us to have. What about words like uh, unity, laughter, dedication, powerful life? These just single words, unity, provision. These are words that God wants to sow into our spirit over these next few weeks. And instead of concentrating, we cannot control what comes to our mind. There are things and thoughts that come to our mind all the time. You look out, you hear someone say something, you watch a program on television, you read something, whatever it may be. And of course, thoughts and things come to your mind. But when Paul in Philippians chapter 4, we'll get there later on, in verse 8 said, think on these things. That word, the Greek there really meant meditate. Meditate on these things. Don't meditate on the bad circumstances. Don't it's not that they don't happen. They come against you. They come against all of us. And we have to deal with them. We have to have concern. But there's a difference in concern and worry. There's a difference in a fleeting thought and meditation on that thought. How do you deal with those things? And so that's what Paul, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is trying to get into us when he writes here to the Philippians. Let me just give you a little bit more background. The occasion for writing this, this uh, epistle, there was a young man, uh, Ephroditus, and he was going from the church to Paul, who was in Rome at the time, and bringing a gift, all right? He was bringing a gift from that church to Paul, and in the midst of bringing that gift, he got very sick. He got very sick on his way, so by the time he got to Paul, uh, he was so sick that he just had to stay there with him. He had to stay there in Rome for a while until he got better. Well, Paul said, okay, you know what, you're here. I'm going to use this as an opportunity while you're here recovering to write a letter to take back with you. See, Paul hadn't written the letter already, but when Aphrodite came and he was sick and he had to stay, I believe the Holy Spirit impressed upon Paul's heart, hey, this is an opportunity write a letter to them encouraging your friends, give it to Aphrodite. When he gets better, he'll go back and take it to them, all right? And he returned to them. 
All right. And then it was written about 64, the year 64. We call it 64 AD, but it was about the year 64 is when it was written. And it was Paul's first imprisonment at Rome, the first time he was imprisoned at Rome. Okay. Now, all these things are significant. All right. The very first time that he was imprisoned. All right. So let's go to the scripture. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. You may have a different version, but we'll get to the same place together. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. What very thing? This very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers with me of grace. Verse 8. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God I think that's a great introduction amen that's a great introduction and that just kind of set us up well, if we just go down through here, if you look at the first couple verses here, the first thing that we notice is Paul's exchange, his exchange with the church at Philippi, his spirit. This gives us a little insight to Paul's heart at this time. First thing we notice are who, who's writing it? Well, you'd say, well, Paul's writing it. But you know, right in verse 1, there are two writers, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy. One of the things that if you really study uh, Paul's letters, you'll find out that uh, he, he wrote them all. He didn't necessarily pen all of the letters. There were some that he may have just dictated and someone else penned the actual letter. Okay, And so Paul, so obviously Timothy was there with Paul. Well, we just found out that Paul it was in a prison in Rome. And we don't realize Timothy was there with him. These two had a bond. You know, other New Testament books reveal significant information about both of these men. And there's no doubt that the church at Philippi knew both of them very, very well. Timothy occupied a prominent place in Paul's ministry, also significant for us to know. And then we find out who's reading this book. Who is he writing to? Well, he, he identified two groups of readers. They were, at the, they were both the church at large 
And then also the, the leaders or special persons within the congregation. But I want to say something about this and, 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 and Paul addressing the church at large and the leaders. Because here he says to all the saints in verse 1 in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. One of the things that you might think is, well, Paul's addressing the church, you know, all the people here. And then he's talking to the bishops and the deacons, all the folks up here as well. But one of the things I think that Paul was really doing, and let me not say I think, but let me say that one of the things Paul actually was doing here was putting everybody in the same bucket. Because one of the things that happens uh, in church, you may not know this as well as I do because I've, I've seen it. But I think that if you, if you hear someone speak to the church or prophesy to the church, oftentimes those who may have a position as a bishop or a deacon or a pastor or evangelist or apostle, whatever it may be, would, would say, yeah, that's right. Speak to the church. You know, talk to them. Tell them the word of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit say, I'm talking to you because you're part of the church. All of you are part of the church together. The point I'm trying to get here is that I believe Paul is saying, listen, everybody has an office, everybody has a purpose, everybody, no matter what you're called, but at the end of the day, you are all the church. I don't care if you're bishop, deacon, pastor, cardinal, whatever you call yourself or someone else calls you, you are a saint and you are part of the church. And when judgment day comes, you're going to be standing. There's not a line, oh, well, you was, uh, you was the secretary, you was the bookkeeper, so you go down in that line. Oh, you was a bishop, you come over here. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. All that stuff is shed. You're going right before the Lord just like everybody else, okay? And so we can put all of that away. Paul is saying, listen, when I am talking to you about living an abundant life, uh, I'm talking about everybody together. I'm talking about to all the saints. And yes, bishops and deacons, you are no different. Okay, that gives you a little different perspective on what he is saying. No, you're the same. If I don't have time to really get into it. That's not what we're doing in this series. But actually, if you look at it, this word bishop here just really means what? Elder, it means shepherd, just like pastor. It's the same word, same Greek word, bishop, pastor, elder. It's the same word, the same exact word. In fact, I know I said I wasn't going to get into this, but in fact, one of the things that you, you'll find people do, you go to that church over there, you go to the life church, well, who's, who's your preacher? Who's your preacher? Can I tell you something? In, in here, it doesn't mention anything about a preacher. A pastor is not necessarily the same thing as a preacher. Can be, as we have seen, but we associate it together like they're the same thing. It's not the same. A pastor is a shepherd who may be able to preach. But we had just have to have that perspective so we can get over ourselves. That's all I'm saying as people. We have to get over ourselves and all these titles and all of these things, okay? God, God it's for his purpose. It's for his purpose that he says, okay, um, I, I am anointing you as a pastor. I'm anointing you as an apostle for the furtherance of the kingdom. Not so you can go around and tell everybody your title. Come on, somebody. Come on. And so he's talking to the saints. And this term has no other New Testament meaning other than Christian people. It doesn't mean you achieve sainthood by doing any works. Come on. It doesn't mean that you did anything special to be a saint as some denominations or religions would have you to understand. No, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess him with your mouth 
and you are saved, you are called a saint, just like everybody else. So Saint Jude and Saint whoever, Christopher or Saint, that you are the same one. Saint James, Saint Jody, Saint Dietrich, Saint Michael, we all the same. And if you think that title makes you something better, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. And so the saints, and then these bishops and deacons, right? This is, you know, this is the only time Paul really used the word bishop outside of the pastoral epistles, uh, which I won't get into. But it just, just understand that there's just that one word, and it means uh, elder, it means pastor, it means bishop, it means overseer. There was, in fact, in the First Testament church, uh, in the, the first century church, I mean, to say that one of the things you will not find if you study church history, you will not find where you elevated positions, where you were, uh, you came into the church and you were an usher, and then you elevated uh, to a deacon, and then you elevated to an elder, and then you elevated to a pastor, and then you elevated to a bishop. Bishops didn't have churches that they were over, nor did elders, not in the first century church. That didn't happen until a little bit later, man put that in, where I'm an elder over a group of churches. I'm just talking biblically. I don't want to step on your toes and make you upset. I'm just preaching from the Bible. That's all I'm doing, okay? And all I'm doing with that is I'm not trying to correct your doctrine, but what I'm really trying to do is to understand what Paul is telling us, that we're all in the same boat, okay? We're all in it together, all of us, no matter what you're called, all right? We're all in it together. And then uh, the third thing you find here is his greeting in verse 2. And Paul greeted the Philippians with a salutation that he used in several other epistles. And I just love this, as, as many of you do. What does he say? He says, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Uh, you know, it's become almost a cliche sometimes in Christianity and church circles, if you will. But it's a powerful greeting. I, I pronounce on you grace, and I pronounce peace. I, that's a, I would love people to greet me that way. The Apostle Paul came and said, grace and peace to you. I mean, it just, it just means so much. Grace and peace. Uh, he greeted this way in, in his letter to the Romans, both of his letter, uh, letters to the Corinthians, to the church at Galatia, Ephesus, Thessalonica and in his to his good friend Philemon he all said grace he said grace and peace in all of those letters there's only two letters and they were to his sons his sons in the faith Timothy and Titus he added mercy he said mercy grace and peace to you and they kind of held a special place in his heart but he says here grace and peace grace and peace to us and so here's just what I want to get to with the in these first 11 verses today and that's Paul's thanksgiving and prayer for the Philippians. How, what can we gather? Thank you, uh, you know, Brother Mike, for all the, the history and, you know, the context. But what are you trying to tell me? What, what's, what's going on in these first 11 verses? Well, there's four things uh, that I want you to jot down uh, that, Paul, that we really can use, right, to live an abundant life, to live a better life, to live your best life now. Live your best life now. Four things. That, uh, Paul, from Paul's introduction. The first thing is pray for others. Now, you say, well, okay, yeah, that's pretty simple. I mean, pray for others. But look, look at what Paul did here in these, in these verses three, 3 to 5. Like any other church or any other family, there's some division. There's some disagreement. We're all not going to agree on the same thing. If you come to a church 
And uh, they believed Jesus. They believed Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. That's important. He's not still on the cross. I know, you know, some of us, you know, have crucifixes. All right. But I just want you to know, in case you didn't know, he's not on the cross anymore. All right. He's down off the cross and he actually is seated at the right hand of the Father. So, uh, you know, they believe that. And there's some little things you disagree with. You know, maybe the music's a little too loud or they don't do children's church the way that uh, you think it should be done. That's not an occasion just to leave and go find another church necessarily, unless God tells you to, because you're never going to find a church that agrees with you, <laughs> everything that you want. I mean, you can start your own church and see how that goes, <laughs> if that's what you want, right? <laughs> And uh, trust me, even when you do that, everything's still not going to agree with you. <laughs> so again, I refer back, <laughs> get over yourself. <laughs> and believe me, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm looking in the mirror as well. So we, we have to get over ourselves, okay? We're here to, the, Isaiah says this. Isaiah says, we are the planting of the Lord. We are the planting of the Lord. God plants us where he wants us to be. So when you say, I'm looking for a new church, what you really mean to say is, I'm praying that the Lord will show me where he wants me to be, right? We are the planting of the Lord. And so, like any family, there will be occasions where we don't agree on everything. People rub you the wrong way, whether it's personality, whether it's their view on uh, politics or their view on child uh, raising children or whatever it may be, there's always things that are going to uh, rub us the wrong way about others. But Paul's focus here was on the mutual love that they had for each other. Paul and the church at Philippi, the mutual love. Again, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? What do you meditate on? Are you always thinking about uh, the, the offense? Are you always thinking about the differences? Or are you meditating on the mutual love? Because we have a Savior that shed his blood for you and for me. And for those that don't know him yet. And for those that smell. And for those that curse. And for those that drink. Come on, I could go on and on. He shed his blood for everyone. So there's a mutual interest that we have there. But here's what he said. Every time they crossed his mind, he gave thanks and he prayed for them. How many of us can say that? That every time someone crosses our mind, the Lord puts them on our mind, what comes to mind? Oh yeah, I, re I remember Sister Becky. Yeah, I remember that one time. Paul says, every time someone comes to mind from the church at Philippi, he gave thanks and he prayed for them. And so I think that takes it to another level than just praying for others. There's a time when we uh, go before God every day or twice a week or once a week or once a month or whatever, whatever your prayer time is, and I pray for other people. And my prayer is, Lord, just bless other people. Let them come to you. Paul's was a little more personal. He thought about them. They were on his mind. You ever had someone on your mind? Of course you have. We all have. People have crossed our mind. And this says every time they crossed his mind, he thanked God and he prayed for them. So get that in your spirit. Make it a habit of praying for other people. Not just saying, I'll pray for you. But God, and you don't listen. Some of us say, well, you know, I always forget. I need to write it down. Well, even if you're a person that doesn't write it down, that's a good thing to do, I think. Write down prayer requests. But even if you're a person who doesn't do that and forgets to do that, God brings people to your mind. 
It's just what we, sometimes we don't realize it. It's what you choose to do with that thought that comes to your mind. You don't have power over who comes to your mind. You don't have power over what thoughts come to your mind. But you do have power over what you choose to do with the thought. And Paul chose to thank God and pray for others. And then number two, be assured that God is growing you. I, and I didn't just say understand God is growing you. I'm telling you, be assured in your heart. Don't have a question in your heart about whether God is growing you or not. Every situation you find yourself in can be growth or decline. It can be growth or it can be decline. And if you remember last week, I said, listen, as Christians, we need to change our, we need to change our perspective from uh, that was decline, that was failure, that was just a terrible thing. No, either I won, I was successful, or I learned from the situation. I learn from the situation. Every occasion we can use for a learning experience. Rarely, rarely do you ever stay the same in any situation. You either grow or you're decline. You're like, you're like that boat out there on the lake. No oars, no motor. You just float. And you're thinking I'm staying in the same place. But you look up 20 minutes later and you're a half a mile away. It'll just take you. Sin is that way. Sin will just, if you don't do, if you're not active, if you're not paying attention to your thought life, paying attention to your words, what you're saying, sin will just take you over here. And before you know it, and it's like so many of us, well, I don't know how that happened. I just don't know how. Well, God knew. <laughs> and he's telling us to be proactive like Paul. Be assured that every situation God is growing you in. But it's, it's your job to not accept it and say, well, you know, God's just growing me, so I'll just get beat up. No, speak the scripture so that you can have victory in every situation. Don't look at it as failure. Say, well, you know, I'm just going to speak the word and I'm going to overcome because God is an overcomer and he's called me an overcomer. He said, I'm more than a conqueror. He said, I'm a king and a priest. He said, I will be the head and not the tail. He said, I will be above and never again beneath. Do you know that Zephaniah says that God thinks about you and uh, he, he sings over you? That's scripture. Zephaniah said, God, that's how much he loves you and wants you to succeed. He sings over you. God loves you. God is for you and not against you. And so speak scripture in your situation. Don't dwell on the negative thing. That, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. That's exactly what he wants you to do. We used to call it tis, right? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That's all the enemy can throw at you. You can never, ever say the devil made me do it. Because he just gave you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And it's up to you to fall for it. If you fall for it, if you go off sides, that's penalty against you. I don't know. What can I say? What can I say? And you can't say, well, he, he spoke too loud or he talked about me. Right, I know. Yeah, well, join the club. <laughs> right? Come on. But God has armed us. He has armed us with the Holy Spirit. He's armed us with his word. He's given us everything we need to overcome no matter what situation you find yourself in. And then this third, so pray for others. Be assured that God is growing you. The third thing in verse 9, you'll see it, show interest in the growth of others. So this takes it to a, the next level. 
not just pray for someone, uh, you know, when they c come across your mind. But listen, we have great interest in us growing. When, when we are assured that God is growing us, we have great interest. It makes me so happy. I'm so happy to know, Brother Mike, that God is growing me. I, when you said that and I read that scripture, I'm just so happy. Now I'm excited about life. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying that you should be just as excited when you see someone else growing. Come on. Our, our job is to see others grow, not tear them down. You know, one of the things, um, Brother Mike Morgan was talking about Kairos this morning. And one of the things that I really love about Kairos is those folks that give a talk, got an opportunity to give a talk this time around. And when you are able to give a talk in prison, one of the things you do is you preview the talk. It's this way in Emmaus too, I believe. Uh, you, you, you preview the talk uh, for the other folks, other men that are going into prison uh, before you actually get there. So you preview it and they have a, a piece of paper, right? And they, there's questions on there. Was it, you know, was it loud enough? Was it, you know, whatever it may be, all of the things, your critique or whatever it is. One of the things that I love is that it, there's, there's never, never a tearing down. Never a tearing down. No matter how bad you did. It's always concentrated on you being better because I have an interest in you being the best you that you can be. That should be our heart toward others. We should show as much interest in others growing as we do in our own selves growing. Now, I'm not telling you that's easy. It's just not. You might say, oh, that's easy. No, it's not. Because it's not in our human nature. But it is in our spiritual nature. So show an interest in others growing. How do you do that? Through encouragement, through assurance, through focusing on others. That means purposeful, purposely focusing on others. And grow in love. That's this agape love. What is clear is that for Paul, agape is emphasized in the self-sacrificial love of Christ. Christ showed that agape love. He showed us the way by sacrificing himself, and he is the model for us. Christ is the model of love. And so you have to genuinely want people to be better, not just to get even. I, I don't know how that went over, but I'll say that again so it can get in your spirit. You have to genuinely want people to get better, not just for you to get even. And I don't know about you, but I know I'll, I'll, be, I'll be transparent. It's all right, Brother James. I'll be transparent because I know you still love me. I know there have been times in my life where I've been offended or whatever, and I just, oh, Lord, I just hope that that person doesn't make it. I, I hope that they, I hope that something, you know, happens to them. The thought comes to mind, and I know you're like, oh, like, hey, the thought comes to mind. But it's what we do with those thoughts. What do we do with those thoughts? Immediately, no, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> no, no. We want that person to get better. We love them. We forgive them before they even ask for forgiveness. Right? And then we, sometimes when we do that, we realize, well, really, it was us who needs to ask for forgiveness. Come on. <laughs> and let me mention that this prayer... Uh, resembles Paul's prayer for the Colossians as well, back in Colossians chapter 1. Same thing. These parallels reveal that Paul thought consistently on the matter of Christian growth. These things are consistent with Paul's theology on us growing. And then the last thing he tells us is to use discernment. Use discernment in verse 10. Use discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. 
use discernment in your life, what do you mean? Well, we see that Paul envisioned mature Christians who had the ability to distinguish from right or wrong. All right? God created us in the beginning. I don't even know if this is worth mentioning, but God created man, human in the beginning to not have to distinguish between right and wrong. I don't know if you know that or not, but when he first created Adam and Eve, they didn't have to distinguish between right or wrong. They just had to listen to God. They, were, they didn't even care. It doesn't matter what's right or what's wrong. All I'm doing is following. That's all I know. I don't even know what's right and wrong. But we messed that up. <laughs> when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now we have the knowledge of good and evil. But you have no excuse now. And so we have to be able to discern. And his prayer for them reflected this. And this word discern has the meaning of test by trial. And he said, approve those things that are excellent. That means the things that are the best for you. It emphasizes the result of the testing, the result of the discernment. This phrase doesn't need to stress the fact that some things are harmful for us and some things are not. Some things are harmful and should be avoided. We shouldn't have to be told that. But Paul tells us, have the ability to discern if you want to be a mature Christian. You want to be mature. Why? Because discerning develops character. Bad situations don't develop our character. Bad situations and bad circumstances reveal our character. But you discerning develops our character. A growing love provides for character development and completion. And as Paul prayed, his thoughts moved to the day of accountability. He prayed that the Philippians would live in such a way that they would be without blame at that time. Come on. Someone once said, live in such a way that if someone spoke badly about you, no one would believe them. I think that's a great uh, you know, it's a great cliche to live by, don't you? Live in such a way that if someone spoke badly about you, no one else would believe them. And then I would take it a step further and say, for you who know the Lord, live in such a way that those that don't know God will come to know him by your life. Not just by you preaching to them, not just by you beating, by you beating them over the head with the Bible, but by your life, the way that you live, they would come to know God. And so Paul wrote this letter while in a Roman prison. He could have lamented on his situation, couldn't he? I mean, he could have complained. He could have asked for help. He could have asked for sympathy. He could have done many things. But... In spite of his imprisonment and in spite of the fact that he was in the shadow of a Roman prison and he was in the shadow really studied out of the executioner's block. That's where he was. He was on death row. That's where he was. And uh, he finds a way to rejoice. Now, if that isn't convincing enough to you to find ways to rejoice in your life, I don't know what is. This morning, you may find yourself in a situation where the focus is on your circumstances. You may find yourself in a situation that all you can see is what's around you and all the bad that's around you. You may find yourself in a situation where it's difficult to look past all of the bad things that are coming upon you. God would say to you today, the best way to change your circumstances is to focus on living the life he's put before you.
It doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. Have an assurance by faith that he is for you and not against you. And let your focus be on the well-being of others. If you're able to do these things, you're able to live a good life.